This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hey, is this thing on? Welcome to Maddox on the Mic, a legal podcast presented by Maddox, an independent Australian law firm. Hello and welcome to Maddox on the Mic. Today on the Future of Aged Care podcast, we'll be talking about provider governance, which is an issue that was considered in detail during the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety. My name is Angela Wood and I'm a partner in the Maddox Healthcare team. Joining me today are Lucille Scomason, also a partner in our healthcare team, and my colleagues Elizabeth Blanche and Alexandra Adams, both senior associates in our team. Welcome to each of you. I should say from the outset today, we're talking about governance of provider organisations and not governance of the aged care system more broadly. That was a separate issue that the Royal Commission also dealt with in its final report. So Elizabeth, perhaps we can start with you. What were the specific recommendations that were made on the topic of provider governance in the final report? Perhaps you could step us through them at a high level and then we might do a bit of a deep dive into each of them in turn. Thanks, Angela. Yes, quite quite a lot of attention was given to this topic of provider governance in the final report and the impact that it has on the provision of high quality and safe care. So the, the recommendation section of the final report um, was divided into something like 26 chapters. And I think chapter 13 was devoted to this topic of provider governance specifically. And there were four specific recommendations on the topic. So uh, recommendation 88, which was titled legislative amendments to improve provider governance. Uh, Then there was recommendation 89, um, which was titled leadership responsibilities and accountabilities. And it's worth noting that uh, this was a recommendation that was just given by Commissioner Briggs. So on a number of occasions in the report, the commissioners diverged in their opinions on a number of topics and that filtered through to some of the recommendations made. And then there was a recommendation 90 uh, titled New Governance Standard, which is quite a detailed uh, recommendation. And finally, recommendation 91, uh, which was titled Program of Assistance to Improve Governance Arrangements. And it's worth noting that in the Commonwealth Government's response to this final report, they accepted each of those four provider governance specific recommendations. Thanks very much for taking us through those, Elizabeth. Lucille, perhaps you can walk us through on the recommendations of the Royal Commission about the legislative amendments needed to improve provider governance. Sure. Thanks, Angela. So I guess just picking up on um, recommend recommendation 88 first up, um, that recommendation um, was that by the 1st of January uh, next year, 2022, the Aged Care Act and the Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission Act should be amended to require a number of things. The first one being that the governing body of an approved provider uh, providing personal care services must have majority of independent non-executive members. Now, that would apply unless an organisation in that position applied for and was granted an exemption by the Aged Care Quality Safety Commission. Secondly, that the constitution of an approved provider mustn't authorise a member of the governing body to act other than in the best interests of the provider. 
This is a really interesting one, and I guess what remains to be seen here is whether this would potentially override the position um, in Section 187 of the Corporations Act for those approved providers who are governed by the Corporations Act. So that section permits a director in certain circumstances to discharge the duty to act in the best interests of a wholly owned subsidiary company by acting in the interests of the holding company. Now, uh, this is a section in the Corps Act that often is relied upon and pointed to in financial matters. In particular, it comes into sharp focus um, when we look at the practices of some groups in terms of the use um, and the holding of things like lump sum payments, such as accommodation, um, refundable accommodation deposits. So that's a really interesting one to see how that will be picked up and those laws will, will interact the third is that an applicant for approval to provide aged care services must notify the Quality and Safety Commission of its key personnel and any changes to those key personnel within 10 business days of that change. Fourthly, that there'd be a fit and proper persons test which would displace the current disqualified individual test and the intention there is that the fit and proper person test is intended to be a wider and, and I guess less rigid approach to assessing the suitability of key personnel. And finally, that an approved provider must provide an annual report to the Secretary of the Department um, containing various information that will be made publicly available through My Aged Care. Now, there is a second part to this recommendation, and I won't go into it in a huge amount of detail other than to just say that uh, it proposes some amendments to freedom of information laws, and that would provide for increased access to documents uh, about the affairs of approved providers. Yeah, that, that, it's really interesting, um, those recommendations, Lucille. And before, before I let you um, go on, I might just jump in and add that it's going to be interesting, I think, to see whether these recommendations are going to be implemented by some of the smaller operators, particularly this requirement about governing bodies needing to have a majority of independent non-executive members. And it's going to be interesting to see how many exemptions that the uh, Aged Care Quality and Safety Commissioner grants in relation to that particular recommendation. But, but hopefully recommendation 91, which we might talk about in a little bit more um, detail a bit later in the podcast, might assist some of those smaller operators in that regard. Yeah, Elizabeth, it's a really good point. And it will be interesting to see how a number of the smaller operators respond um, to a range of the recommendations that have been made by the Royal Commission if, if they are in fact implemented. Um, and whether recommendation 91, as you say, which relates to the Australian government establishing an ongoing program to assist providers to improve their governance arrangements really does kick in and assist with this. Thanks, Lucille and Elizabeth, it will be interesting to see whether the Australian government has an appetite for making these changes to the Aged Care Act ahead of its intention to replace the Act with the new rights-based and consumer-centred Act. I guess some of that will depend upon the feedback it gets during the consultation process. Lucille, you mentioned that the recommendation requires approved providers to provide a new kind of annual report to the Department of Health with information that will be made publicly available through My Aged Care. Um, that's a pretty interesting recommendation, reflecting a key theme arising from a number of the case studies around accountability and transparency of providers. And the case study in relation to residential aged care facility in Adelaide comes to mind. Was there any particular detail provided in the final report as to what information would need to be publicly reported? 
Well, Angela, there was some colour provided in the final report about what that annual report uh, should contain. And I think what we heard from um, the commissioners was that at a minimum, their thinking was the annual, annual report should contain the names and positions of all key personnel and attestation by the governing body of the kind that's described uh, in Recommendation 90, which is to say that it would be an attestation that the provider has in place the structures, systems and processes to, to deliver safe and high quality care. Uh, and information on staffing levels, qualifications, hours worked, employment status and staff turnover. So quite comprehensive. Commissioner Briggs, interestingly, also indicated that providers should go on further uh, and report on some additional matters in her view, and that included um, various information um, from financial reports, uh, details on the provider's related party transactions, such as, for example, transactions between an approved provider and a member of its key personnel, or the provider and another entity which is part of the same overall, or overall group or organisation. Also information on service provision and use, which could include, for example, care recipient attrition rates and information on the number, type and outcome of complaints, which is quite interesting. Thanks for taking us through that, Lucille. Alexandra, perhaps I could ask you now to walk us through the next recommendation which focused on leadership responsibilities and the accountabilities of those leaders. Sure, Angela. So as was mentioned towards the beginning of today's recording, Recommendation 89 was a recommendation that was made by Commissioner Briggs alone. This recommendation sets out that by 1st of July 2021, the Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission should as part of its approval of aged care providers and accreditation, require governing bodies to do three things. To ensure that their leaders and managers have professional qualifications or high-level experience in management roles. Secondly, to ensure that the performance of executive staff is assessed against their ability to support an organisational culture and practice consistent with the new Act. And thirdly, to support staff training, professional development and continuous learning staff feedback and engagement and team building. And look, these are really useful recommendations, but as was mentioned um, before, it just remains to be seen whether or not they can actually be implemented in practice. And also if they're implemented in practice, what the outcome will actually be. These obligations could be difficult for smaller providers. Thanks for taking us through that, Alexandra. I think it will be useful to watch that, particularly given that it was only made by Commissioner Briggs and not supported more broadly may mean that the Australian government has less of an appetite to pick some of those up. Um, could we go back to you, Elizabeth, and could you please walk us through Recommendation 90, which focused on a new governance standard, noting that the existing aged care standards do cover governance requirements in Standard 8? Yeah, of course. So Recommendation 90, as I mentioned um, at the outset, is one of the more lengthy recommendations on provider governance. So bear with me while I step you through each of the different um, limbs. So the Commission has recommended that this new standard should require that aged care providers do the following. So firstly, that they have members of their governing body who have the skills or the mix of skills, experience and knowledge of governance responsibilities, including care governance um, in particular, which is required to provide governance uh, over the structures, systems and processes for ensuring the safety and high quality of the care delivered by the provider. So that's the, the first limb. Um, secondly, that aged care providers have what's been called a care governance committee 
which is to be chaired by a non-executive member of the governing body with appropriate experience in care provision, which I think is quite an interesting point. And, and the purpose of that you know, committee is to monitor and ensure accountability for the quality of care provided. Uh, thirdly, that aged care providers allocate resources and implement mechanisms to support regular feedback. And that's from people receiving care, representatives, including their family, and also staff as well. Um, and fourthly, that aged care providers have a system for receiving and dealing with complaints, including regular reports to the governing body about complaints, and um, interestingly, an analysis of the patterns uh, and the underlying reasons for those complaints. And just a comment there, Elizabeth, that this recommendation is no doubt drawn from the evidence heard in some of the case studies, and in particular, a case study concerning a family member of a resident where counsel assisting made some pretty strong comments regarding the handling of the complaint um, and that the response of the provider was to attack the messenger um, and focus on preserving its own corporate interests rather than responding to the substance of complaint of the complaint. And that was looked on pretty pretty poorly by the Commission. So I think um, these recommendations are attempt to kind of combat that evidence heard. Yeah, thanks for that, Alexandra. You're absolutely right. That sentiment came through in a number of the case studies, um, I think, where it was clear that, you know, residents and families didn't feel like their complaints were heard or acted upon necessarily. So just finishing off, Angela, uh, on that new governance recommendation, um, there were two other aspects. So um, one was that aged care providers have effective risk management practices. And the, it was interesting that this needs to cover off both financial and other enterprise risks, but also care risks. And I think there was a, there were some comments made um, during some of the case studies that perhaps um, undue, um, I guess, attention was being given to financial risks and not enough attention was being given to those, those care risks that were being presented. Mm -hmm. And finally, um, that aged care providers have a nominated member of their governing body give that annual attestation, which I think Lucille might have mentioned earlier. Yeah, I mean, that attestation, um, it raises an interesting point because already we are seeing that that's a requirement for many of our um, clients who are health service organisations such as hospitals and day hospitals under the national uh, safety and quality health service standards. So health service organisations are required to submit an annual attestation statement to their accrediting agency confirming their compliance with uh, the NSQHS standards. And the aim of that is to increase the awareness by the governing body of its accountability for safety and quality in clinical governance processes as set out in those standards. So it is a well-trodden path um, and not new in, so, in many ways in the broader healthcare uh, space. Thanks, Lucille. Before we move on to the next recommendation, I'm keen to hear a little bit more about the Care Governance Committee that was mentioned, noting that many of our clients do in fact have clinical governance committees in place at present, but it sounds like it's a little bit broader than that in its scope. Uh, yes, it's an interesting recommendation, Angela. So the, the commissioners commented in the final report that governing bodies of approved providers don't always pay sufficient attention to the quality of care being delivered to older people and recommended that this committee be established to monitor and ensure accountability for the quality of care delivered by the provider. Um, and as I mentioned at the outset, the recommendation was that this committee be chaired by a non-executive member with appropriate experience in providing care. And it, it's going to be interesting to see what 
what skill set that um, that chairperson has to have and you know the the extent of their um, care experience or understanding of you know aged care operations um, to fulfill that role um, and the commissioners commented in the final report that for such a committee to be effective the role of um, an approved providers care governance committee must be understood not just by the committee members themselves but across the organization more broadly and in terms of what the committee um, is intended to do, the Commission has explained that it should have responsibility for ensuring that processes are established and maintained to record, monitor and report relevant information to the governing body or the board in a systematic way. Um, and they also explained that the committee should ensure um, that effective mechanisms are in place so that the governing body can take action, whether remedial or proactive or both, uh, where issues are identified. Thanks very much, Elizabeth, for taking it, us through those points. Um, some of those recommendations dovetail quite nicely and closely with our previous discussion on the serious incident reporting scheme and the ways in which some of those incidents are intended to be captured and trends analysed and our comment that the governing bodies of organisations need to be across some of those. So that's a very interesting way in which these governance recommendations dovetail with those changes that have already been implemented. I'm wondering now, Alexandra, whether you could take us through the Royal Commission's final provider governance specific recommendation. Yeah, of course, Angela. So the Royal Commission uh, recommended as part of Recommendation 91 that the Australian government should establish an ongoing program to provide assistance to approved providers to improve their governance arrangements, including their care governance arrangements. The idea is that this program will commence in the 2021-2022 financial year. As part of this, practical assistance will be provided to approved providers to improve their governance arrangements, um, including care governance arrangements, and bring them into line with any new regulatory requirements. So it was clear from the Royal Commission's final report that governing bodies of approved providers vary significantly in their size, expertise and resources, and that size or location was not necessarily an indicator of good governance arrangements. Thank you, Alexandra. That gets us to the end of the recommendations regarding governance made by the Royal Commission, and it's all we've got time for today. We hope you enjoyed the episode and learnt something new. If you have any questions at all, head over to the Maddox website where you can get in touch with me or any member of the healthcare team. Thank you for listening. In our next podcast, we will follow on from this topic and we'll be talking about what we see as key elements of good provider governance. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to Maddox on the Mic. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to maddox.com.au forward slash podcast to subscribe. If you'd like more information on any of the topics discussed in today's episode, visit the Maddox website, maddox.com.au.